Good morning, everyone. My name's Kat Breet. I'm here every Tuesday and Thursday to talk with you about how to get more money, freedom, and fun out of work. But bubbling underneath all of that, there's this thing called confidence. And without it, it's really tough to get ahead, get out there and sell yourself and get the life and the career that you want. Um, and the trouble is we've been misled. We've sometimes even been lied to about what it takes to build and keep your confidence. Uh, confidence is not inherited. We didn't get it from our mom or our dad. Um, and you don't just get it by working hard or faking it till you make it. Um, here's something that really just shocked me. Did you know that it takes the average person to the age of 60 to find real confidence? Yay, yay, Well, the good news is I have a spectacular guest on with us this morning. Alyssa DeVere um, is a TED Talker. She's a seven-time best-selling author. She teaches at MIT Wharton. She is a confidence crusader, and she has spent the last seven-plus years digging in to the brain science behind confidence, what sucks our confidence, and what can help us build it back up again. And she said yes to coming on this morning with me. So welcome. Good morning, Alyssa. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm with Kat today. It's a good day. Yes, woo -woo. All right. So you say you have discovered that confidence is a choice. It doesn't take 10,000 hours for us to find confidence. Well, you know, there's some irony or maybe it's a paradox. I always get those confused in the context of when you say 10,000 hours, you're, you're probably quoting uh, Gladwell, right? Yep. And, you know, the the interesting thing about the research um, is that when we really understand how the brain works, uh, you actually can make a case that too much practice, too much perfectionism, too much repetition actually does the opposite. And in fact, I discovered that as part of my uh, hero story. Uh, I know you've been reading my book, Kat, and my my the reason I got into confidence was because my son, Zach, was diagnosed with a neurological condition. And it was very, very scary and very serious. And as a result of learning about this condition, it's called dystonia. It can happen to children. It can happen to grownups. Uh, in fact, 300,000 in the US alone are known to exist. 300 cases um, are known. We know that there's probably 10 times that that have been undiagnosed. Uh, but a lot of athletes and musicians, because of that 10,000 hour pounding, 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 actually break the neuros, neuro, neurology and create this problem. So I hope we can get into some brain science and really get into some of the juicy bits about what is enough in terms of making ourselves confident enough so we can make that beautiful choice of being confident. Yeah, and um, I am. I am devouring your book. I was... <laughs> I was telling Alyssa this morning, I've already gone back and reread pieces of it because there's just, it is just packed with mind blowing insights around confidence. And so, um, so thank you for sharing the story about Zach. Talk about a catalyst in your life. You've got somebody that you love, that you care about. Um, and, and you say in your book that, that you just weren't getting answers from the doctors. So you went and started reaching out to neuroscientists, psychologists all over the world to try to figure out how to help your son. Um, and underneath all that, you discovered this, this thing about confidence. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that connection between confidence and your son's success and ability to break through the barriers um, in his life. 
Well, so during that time and, and the prior 10, 15 years, I was working as a marketing executive. My, my lane was uh, not just uh, leading marketing organizations, but really into technology and, and anything that seemed to be hard to explain to others was kind of my superpower that I could break it down into explaining it in a marketing context. So that was what I was doing as a living. So here it is now. Um, my son, again, he's 21 and he was about eight, nine years uh, old when this all started. Getting all this information from doctors, trying to understand, and when I say doctors, top of the food chain, neurologists, best in the world, could not explain it. And I kept saying, well, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe I don't understand what's going on. So I kept digging and asking stupid, innocent questions. And when I started to unwind some of this, uh, it started to make sense. And I started to validate it with, you know, kind of different disciplines. I was talking to neurologists and psychologists and sociologists even. And I started putting all these pieces together and they would start to say things like, oh, oh yes, you're, you're right. I never thought about that. So the puzzle pieces started to come together. And because of my marketing background and following that lane, because it seemed to be the right career lane in my educational decision making up to that point, what was the common thread in that was this fascination with human behavior. I mean, I look back in my educational choices and I was taking criminal science and all kinds of things that had to do with, you know, why do people make certain decisions and all. So as I'm learning about the brain to try and figure out how to help Zach um, and, you know, the, 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 the issue for Zach is that his arms and his head, his brain actually don't connect quite right in the sense that here I am picking up a cup of coffee. He can't do that um, because his brain and his arm just don't have that synaptic connection. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on there, learning about the way the brain works. And I'm starting to see some of these puzzle pieces for all the human behavior stuff I had been poking at for the last 10, 15 years. So all of a sudden, Kat, as you kind of prompted me here, the two worlds kind of started to come together. And it was that moment of when I was talking to some friends of mine to just go, look what I just figured out. Their eyes were this big. And so I wrote this very saucy book called Misinformed. I say saucy because it was it's hysterical, but it's not very science-based. Uh -huh. But it was kind of like kind of joking about a lot of stuff. And again, I got that eyeball like, oh, my gosh, you got to do something. And um, HR.com knocked on my door, head of leadership. And her name is Lynette Rumble. And she was like, um, we'd really like you to do something with this that is more corporate friendly. And so we had conversations about that for a good year. And then Lynette said, no, you know what? You need to do something and I'm going to help you. And she and I started the American Confidence Institute as a way of kind of formalizing that um, that knowledge, that aha-ness about it and bringing it to the public in the form of, you know, how do you use this for your own confidence? So are you telling me that Lynette, Lynette made you drop the F-bombs? Is that what you're saying? You had to cut out the saucy language. Oh, no. If you knew Lynette, no, 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 no. She's like queen of F-bombs with me right on side. But you know what? Here's the thing. I, I You know, there is an interesting balance between trying to use science and be very um, systematic about how you help people fix their confidence, just like you would in a job search, right? There's like soft stuff around it of the issues and you want to talk about them, but if you don't bring the science and the system behind you as the kind of like, it's not just Kat or Alyssa telling you, right. um, you're just another talking face. So that's what we aim to do.
Absolutely. Well, and you've done a brilliant job of it, uh, not just with the American Confidence Institute, but I, I am. I'm, I'm just really enjoying your book. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, situational. You talk in your book about situational villains. And so we all know from very, very young that that, you know, finding confidence can be tough. But you talk in your book about uh, life sometimes sends some villains your way that make it even harder to muster confidence when you need to go after hard things in life. And so talk a little bit about that, the situational villains. Sure. Well, think about confidence is our superpower and it's in every one of us. We just don't always know how to use it or the, how to access it. And it is the ultimate asset, right? It is, you said before, it bubbles under money, freedom and fun. It, it bubbles under everything. It literally is what determines how we decide everything we do. When we make something like 30,000 decisions a day on a average day, what to wear, what to eat, of course, but who and what to say to whom, um, you know, it, it, it's this constant decision-making process in our head. And but depending on how our confidence is at that moment and confidence is a certainty. So if we're feeling, yes, I absolutely want to say this to Kat, that kind of greases the skids for me to behave then trigger those behaviors that follow that confidence. So confidence literally determines everything that we do in terms of the way we act, we react, we react, and that we interact. So it, it's that underpinning for everything. Um, I, I think that what most people don't realize, and that's why the new book is called Confidence is a Choice, is that you get to control that, but you have to know that you can control it, right? And so if I say to myself, you know what, Oh, I just can't make a decision. Guess what? No, I cannot make a decision. But if I say, you know what? I know this is going to be a hard decision. You know, French vanilla or, you know, French uh -huh. caramel. For the right? Like, but you say to yourself, I'm making it very simple here, but you, you say to yourself, I can make this decision. You've already given yourself that kind of ammunition. So villains, villains, you said situations, people, and even ourselves, anything that wants to steal your confidence, because guess what? It's such an asset. Everything wants to steal it. Interviewing for a job, top of my list. Top of my list. Now, in the book, I get into Abraham Maslow and all the explanation why. But the short answer is you go into an interview and you know you're being judged. There's no secret about it. Right. And that is the most horrific thing that people can take from you is your sense of belonging. So interviewing really hard. Um, actually, what's really on the top of the list statistically is presenting. Mm, you mean what you and I are doing right now? <laughs> yeah, or on a stage, right? Yeah. Like, we do a lot but, of that. To us, it's fun. A lot of people would rather die. Yeah. So interviewing falls under that presenting bucket. Um, so I just want to take a quick moment to pause and say good morning to everyone. We've got a, a, a active audience this morning, Diane, Gina, Gregory, uh, Lisa, Bruce, Michael, Mochini, Mosini, good morning. Jane, hello everyone. Welcome if you are just joining us. My name is Kat Breit with the More Money, Freedom and Fun Show. And we have a fantastic guest this morning. Real special treat. We have Alyssa DeVere uh, with the American Confidence Institute. And we are talking about how to hack your brain and find and build confidence in those moments when you need it most. Um, and so let's talk about presenting and pitching. Uh, you say in your book, and uh, you teach this, you say a lot, you know, again, at MIT and Wharton, that you teach pitching, and you say pitching is not a presentation. So talk a little bit about that. Well, 
I love uh, teaching this class because it's transformational. It really uh, it shows people that when you go to present. Now, Kat, you shared with me just before we got online live that you join um, National Speakers Association and eSpeakers. And so, you know, there's these associations and classes you go to present and they're going to teach you things such as how to stand, how to make good eye contact. And those things are really important. Don't get me wrong. It's part of the pitch class. But when you go in to do a presentation, you are basically educating. And there is a lot of forgiveness in the audience because they're there to learn. They've come to hear you to take away to learn something. So they are a lot more forgiving in the sense that they're relaxed. They don't have their defenses up. When you walk into a pitch, and I don't care if the pitch is you interviewing or trying to sell a product or your company or you're pitching an idea, you know, I work with a lot of scientists, for example, they're pitching ideas for grants. That's that's also a form of it. You know that the other side of the table, the people that you're pitching to have walked into the room with an escalated kind of a fear alarm. Their amygdala is literally alert because they know that you're going to ask them to do something that they probably don't want to do to give you money, to change a behavior, whatever you are pitching them. So you're both walking, you walk in going, oh, you know, they may not like me. It's like an interview. They may not love what I have to offer, but they're also walking in with that kind of wall up already. So it's a different audience that you're talking to. And if you go in and you pitch like you present, in other words, I'm pitching, I'm if I'm presenting, I'm educating, I'm talking at, guess what? A pitch will almost never work. So um, it's a very different mindset. Yeah. And oh my gosh, we could talk for hours about when I first got into sales 22 years ago. Oh my gosh, the mistakes I made. And, you know, I still make them today. I mean, we're human, right? Um, I want to encourage all of you that are with us this morning. You have a master a confidence builder, world-renowned TED talker, and she is here and she can answer your questions. So if you have any specific questions for Alyssa about confidence, please pop them in the chat. Uh, she'd love to answer them. One thing that um, while we're waiting for people to bring their uh, juicy questions, uh, by the way, Sophia saw you present years ago at an exhibitor show. Uh, so you've got some old fans here. Hey, hi, Sophia. Uh, so bring the questions on. I've got a question for you about the brain science. So now that we all understand, my goodness, what a, a revelation that confidence is a choice. How do, what do we need to do to wake our brain up and shift the energy and find more confidence. How can we do that? Well, all right. The, again, short form here, just because of our limit in time. But you know, I'm going to kind of zero in on the the most key thing, which is recognizing the trigger. If you know that certain people or certain situations make you nervous, make you want to crawl out of your skin, make you want to twitch a little, you know, the the, the oftentimes there is a physical tell. But we can feel it. And what happens oftentimes, I, when I coach people and talk to them, they'll try and talk themselves out of it. Ah, don't pay attention. Whoa, pay attention. It's your body and your brain saying, time out. Something is about to go on here and we need to get mindful. And so I'm using this kind of uh, very generic words. I want to kind of give you the real situation, Kat, is when you're feeling that oh my goodness, I want to crawl under my desk, or I, I don't want to say anything, or I don't want to get on stage. It's that moment that you go, okay, 
that's a little fear. It's a little villain. It's trying to, it's trying to make me come down. No, I'm not going downstairs into the cave reptilian part of my brain. I'm not going into survival, survival mode. I refuse to act passively and kind of aggressively in a way that's protecting me because that's not serving me well in a presentation, picture interview. I'm going to put the, the work up here. Now that's like doing a, you know, a pull up or a push up. It's a little harder to push it up here at that moment. But when you recognize the trigger, you're halfway home. So don't let that fear cause you to go, oh no, oh crap, <laughs> gotta do this. Oh crap, oh yay, that fear is waking my brain up. I'm gonna be brilliant, I'm gonna put it up here. So that is the, the, the quickest, easiest hack. Now it sounds almost hooey. Let me tell you, there's more brain scientists that will tell you just knowing that you can do that is the most powerful thing you can do for your brain right now. Yeah, well, it, it changed my life. Um, a psychologist helped me with fear around cold calling. Speaking of pitching and presenting, I was really, really, really struggling in sales. And he helped me stop, put a name on it. I had been trying to run away from it. I thought the way to deal with my insecurity was to just stuff the fear and run hard. But unfortunately, if you do that, if you ignore it and you don't stop, um, you carry all of that anxiety and then you're pitching really not very well. You are not taking your best foot forward. So it what you're talking about really did change my life. And I still have to think about it and go back to it all the time. So thank you for sharing that. We do have some great questions coming in. Again, right. if you're just joining us, this is Alyssa DeVere um, the, uh, from the American Confidence Institute. And she's here to talk about how to hack your brain to find and harness confidence uh, in your day to day, throughout your day, in those those high stakes moments, and so some good questions here. Jordana would like to know: How do you know the real difference between faking it until you make it and really having true confidence? Oh, good. I'm glad she brought it up. Thanks, Jordana, because faking it until you make it doesn't work. Every workshop I've done, and now we've done thousands of them, we kind of prove the point by saying you can recognize it. We all have a sixth sense. We don't know what to call it yet, but it's like a radar that we smell a faker a mile away. You don't even have to hear them. You can just see it. So faking till you make it in your head, you're saying, I'm faking it till you make it. No, you're not. Everyone else can tell. And faking it till you make it literally tells your brain, I can't do this, so I'm going to fake it. So guess what? All bets are off. What the better language in your head should be is this is my trial run because it's going to take me four or five times to get there. And if if this is one down, I'm four closer to get there. So I'm practicing. I'm getting there and I'm doing it in this way. I'm going to do it well today. Tomorrow when I do it again, I'm going to do it even better. So it's a different mindset. Faking it till you make it. I know Amy Cuddy and power poses are fantastic. And there's a whole section in my book and my courses about structures, which is, you know, it, it does work. But faking it till you make it, if you go in with that mindset, you've already set yourself up for some failure and nobody is going to buy that you're really faking it. Yeah. So great question, Jordana. Thank you for that. So Amy has a really good question about body language, yes. especially in this world where everyone, we are, you know, Zoom fatigue, we're, we are on camera. We are, especially from the waist up. Do you have any tips you present? You've been teaching and presenting for years. Any hot tips for people that are presenting themselves for the first time in their life on camera? Absolutely. And there's courses. I, I did a course myself on it. I'm going to give you my favorite tip of all. I call it power of the pen. 
And I think it summarizes everything on the brain science side as well as the presentation, and it really applies to virtual presentation. So Kat, if I were in the middle of the conversation with you and I started looking down like this, what do you assume I'm doing? What goes through your head? You're probably making your grocery list for tonight and ignoring me. There you go. So what have I done? I have acted as a villain to you. I've taken some of your confidence. Your brain is all over here. You're not paying attention to our conversation. You're like, what is Alyssa doing? You know, most likely I am doing something on my phone because that's what we all do. But here's the difference. Watch, watch this. Now, Kat, I go like this and then I go like this and I start, what am I doing now? You're writing down what you thought of from what I, I triggered a light bulb moment for you and you're writing it down. That's right. And that makes you feel important, makes you feel like you matter. So for me to give you confidence that I'm confident, I actually have to make you confident first. So I made you feel confident. I, I'm here. I could still be doing my grocery list. You don't know. But just this little, oh, interesting. Yes. So key to all things confident is if I make you my audience, in this case, it's just the two of us seeing each other. If I was in a big room, there's a, if I make the audience feel good about being there, I look better as a confident person. So any trick you can do, and that's why when we say eye contact, when I look you in the eyes, it's because I'm actually trying to absorb what you're sending to me uh, verbally and non-verbally makes you feel like I care, I matter. Virtual environments like this are tough, but this little power of the pen, put it in the camera, power of the pen can really help. Oh, I love it. So children, uh, we both have children. We both have two boys. We've got a great question from Patrick about teenage girls. Um, let me zoom up here again. There we go. He was surprised to learn during a healthcare analytics uh, staff that teenage girls uh, visit more, their need to visit mental health professionals really spikes at 15 to 17. Um, my goodness, I love working with young girls because I remember how excruciating middle and high school were for me. So what advice do you have for parents, especially of daughters, about how to help them find their confidence? Well, Kat, you saw in the book that when we did the research around uh, where confidence ebbs and flows in our lives at age 16 is pinnacle because boys lose about 30% of confidence in that part of their life. Girls lose 50% at age 16. So it's right in that sweet spot. And the reason is very clear. Um, if you, again, well, I'm going to refer to my uh, love for Maslow, but Abraham Maslow, the need to belong kind of is the center point for all psychology, all this brain science stuff to this day. And it centers around this need to belong, this need to fit in. So all along where we're four, five, six, seven years old, everyone thought it was cute when we, you know, wore polka dots and stripes, we throw a tantrum, it's all good. And we wake up about 12, 13, 14, and we start to realize there's society rules. Our friends aren't so happy when we act weird, so to speak. Our parents kind of berate us when we act outside the lanes of social acceptance. So by age 16, we all of a sudden feel like we really don't belong. We don't fit in. We're not normal. And that hits us like a ton of bricks. And of course, women, so socially, and again, the brain science is still kind of out to decide is there really a fundamental physiological difference between men and women's brains on this. But socially, we know it to be true that women want to please. We want to be fitting in. And so that age 16, it just takes a total punch to our confidence. And as you said in the introduction, it takes another 50 or so years for us to build it back. That is incredibly depressing, except 
that you have so much in, in inspiring science behind the fact that we can interrupt that, we can change that. That does not have to be our destiny. Um, so if you had a 16-year-old daughter right now, we've also got, um, gosh, I think Diana is trying to help her daughter find the confidence to apply to college. Yeah. Um, what, what is your favorite trick for helping young people to find that? Is it the same method? Is it the, is teach them to stop and interrupt and recognize what they're feeling? Well, that is very much part of it. I just wrapped up a college course we did um, over the break for um, kids, actually seniors in high school through college years. And, you know, the, the, the truth is that this part of our brain, this prefrontal, beautiful, executive decision-making part of our brain isn't fully formed till we're 25. So you've got a couple of years in there before it's fully equipped to do all this great, juicy decision-making. So yes, recognizing triggers is really important. Giving them education and awareness um, is very important and it helps. And so from that perspective, yes, Kat, same kind of ideas. I think one of the things that really um, was pinnacle in the class that I taught with the college kids was really helping them recognize that they're not alone, that they're not weird, that they're not strange. And so having them talk with others about these feelings, and I don't mean a psychologist necessarily. You talk to an adult, the adult's always going to tell you, you know, things that you're like, yeah, you don't know because you're, you're not a teen. But having them talk with each other and having them go, yeah, you know what? I feel that way too. And, and then you say, well, yeah, because we all feel that way. That realization that they're not a square peg, that they're not an outlier, going back to Gladwell stuff, right? That they're not that weird person in the room because we all feel that. And here's the real clinch is that I don't care if you're 40 years old, we still feel like the weird person in the room. And a teenager loves to know that even their parents, even that their perfect aunts and uncles, even their teachers feel like the weird person in the room, that that's part of the human condition. My pen moment. Ah, um, where have you been all my life? Um, so the, that two things that, that really, really haunted me and held me back. And I have a question I would like to ask you, Alyssa. Um, the two things that really helped me a lot is, is number one, that knowing that you're not alone. And number two, an older and wiser friend of mine said to me one day, let go of perfect. And I was floored because I had spent the first half of my life aiming for perfection. And so it's similar to what you just said. We all make mistakes. We're all, you know, we're all in this game learning as we go. And so that, that might really help your young, the people that, that you know and love too. So Alyssa, my question for you is, what is that one voice, that one limiting belief that has been the toughest for you to overcome in your life? We've all got that nasty inner critic. What's that one voice that's been the loudest and hardest for you and how have you overcome that? What do you do to, to break through? Oh, goodness. That's a great question, Kat. I love that. I think that we all, you know, go again, back to that Maslowian need to belong. We want to feel that we matter. We want to feel we matter, whether it's on a podcast or going to work or with our kids. We want to feel that we're making a difference. It doesn't have to be a Mother Teresa kind of difference, but a difference in the world that we're not just consuming, that we're not just here existing, that we actually matter. And I think that for me, what was mind boggling, mind blowing, you know, um, in the research and everything else that I did was the conclusion that I make at the end of the book and the TED Talk, which is that in order to be confident, to really feel that you have control of your own 
decisions to feel that you have comfort in your own skin. The key way to do it is to make somebody else feel confident, to make them feel that they matter. Because when you do that, that is a superpower that you can recognize. And I can say to myself, I just made that person's day. I just made that person feel better. My teenager and I went to the supermarket the other day um, and the cashier was kind of like looking down. She was really like not in a happy place. And I said to her, boy, your eye makeup, you it's so beautiful. I love what you did. And she looked up and, and it was like, she couldn't help but smile. And my son said to me, mom, you just made her day. And I said, that's your superpower too. Yeah. Wow. That is a pretty powerful way to, to wrap the conversation up today. Um, we've got some fabulous questions we didn't have time to get to, but you know what? The internet is open 24 <laughs> seven. So let's keep this conversation going. Let's keep talking to each other online. Invite your friends, share the replay of this. This is mission critical. This is confidence is not a nice to have. It is a requirement for success in life, at work, in your relationships, in your community. It's hard to find. It's painful. We get knocked down. Let's make 2020, 2021 the year that we do a better job of doing exactly what Alyssa suggested here and, and lifting each other up. So let's keep talking. I'll hop out there online and chat with you guys. Um, Alyssa will if she's got a couple of minutes. Thanks for joining us live today. And as we wrap things up, Alyssa is giving y'all a gift today that I can't even believe it. She's giving away a book for free. So Alyssa, tell us a little bit about the, the download that Stefan's been ticking along here. Uh, yeah, tell yeah. Us about that is uh, Confidence is a Choice. It's the new book, came out last year, and that's the one Kat was referring to. So please, you get a PDF, just answer two or three quick, quick two minutes of questions. It's really quick and easy, and you'll get it in your inbox. And I hope you'll enjoy it and love to always get uh, conversations going with folks online as well as just send me an email or any way that you like to communicate. You will love the book. So take advantage of that awesome gift. And I also, um, we've got people tuning in from all over the world and I want to point you to Alyssa's American Confidence Institute. Tell us a little bit about how business leaders and association and group leaders can bring you and your team in to lift up their their teams. Oh, I appreciate that, Kat. So we do all kinds of workshops, virtual, of course, uh, on site, hopefully soon. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing it for years and they are masterful. One hour, if you want to just do a keynote or a workshop is a full, can be a full three hours, combinations thereof. So that's the easiest way. Uh, we do book discussion groups and all kinds of fun things like that too. So if you just want to give like a lunch and learn, we're happy to talk to you about doing something like that as well. And from a diversity perspective, you have the largest association around diversity. Tell us a little bit about that and where can they find information about that? Oh, awesome. Thank you for bringing that up. So about two years ago, um, partly passion, partly because I just needed to do something that was more than put a, a, a BLM sign in my lawn. Um, we started something called the ERG Leadership Alliance. So it's ergleadershipalliance.com. It is the largest association for employee resource groups, and we're doing some amazing work to help educate and train the leaders so that they can make their workplaces more inclusive um, and, and um, bring diversity to a real level, not just a lot of talk. Wonderful. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much. I know you've got a busy day. Thanks to everybody who joined us live again. Let's keep talking online and go make somebody's day today. I love that. Thanks, Kat. <laughs>